Welcome to Thrive Deeper, the show based on the Thrive Bible Reading Guides. This is an ongoing conversation about God's Word with Thrive's author, Dr. Matthew Jacoby, and your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to Thrive Deeper. It's episode 91, your old pal DJ Payne here. And on this episode, I sit down with Matt Jacoby in the studio and we go through the book of Exodus, chapters 13 all the way through to 19. We're covering the time of the Israelites getting out of Egypt, walking through the desert and getting right to the foot of Mount Sinai. This is an amazing part of the story and still so many patterns and themes are getting introduced to us in these books of the beginnings. I know you're going to get a lot of stuff out of this episode, so make sure you've got your copy of Thrive Deeper, your Bible, your pen, and uh, a blank piece of paper if you've got one handy. Get ready, here we go on this edition of Thrive Deeper. I can't sing it, but happy birthday. It's the birthday boys. Oh yeah, we're both birthday boys. (laughs) It's the the birthday brothers. Yeah. Five, what are you, one day, one, sorry. We're in our 40s. Oh, come come on. You are... (laughs) One year and five days older than me. Yeah, in my forties. So you're not going to give out your age? No, no, that's okay. I'm, I'm, I turned forty nine, and my daughter said to me, "Dad, you're basically 50. <laughs> that's my my <laughs> wife said that to me. I was like, "Thanks, love." I'm forty eight. I just turned forty. My birthday's March eighteenth. Yeah, you're younger than me. Yeah, yeah. nineteen seventy. You're yeah. looking very upset about that now. Yeah. Nineteen seventy two model. March eighteenth. You're March the thirteenth, nineteen seventy one. Yeah. So a year and five days apart. Forty uh, nine. How's how is it? It's a number. <laughs> I got it's the same. I got the same thing to say yeah. about forty eight. Yeah. <laughs> That's a number. Do, are, we, are you going to do something big for next year? Fifty. Now, the one thing that we are alike yeah. about this, yeah. right, because so many people are born in March, yeah, right, this, and this is where people who like to try to lump everybody in who are born at the same time yeah. and like to try to make out that we've all got the same personality or something mm. like this, this is, where it, this is where you and I mm. are totally yeah. exceptions to the rule. Yeah. We know so many people are born in March. My idea of a horror movie yeah. is a birthday party for me. <laughs> yeah, I think... <laughs> I think I'm a little <laughs> I could not imagine anything worse than a big birthday party in my honour. Uh, I would want to just fade in the corner. Yeah. I've always been like that as a kid. I hated birthday parties. Yeah. Not a fan. Well, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see what, see happens, what happens. See what happens next year for your 50th. That's going to be know, fun. Uh, I've been watching, I don't know if you've seen this lately, I've been watching The Chosen. Have you seen that TV series yeah. based on the life of Christ? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have been watching I've watched, ugh, you are literally the 20th person who's told me about it. Yeah. I've watched episode one. Yeah, I've watched the whole series. So I did the, you know, the pay yeah. it for, like yeah. you pay money and you, yeah. and, and I think it's good. It's good. And I I, re- I, like, I really liked it. Thumbs up from Magic Kobe. Yeah. Oh, yeah, I really liked it. Okay. I really liked its interpretation. Uh, I like what they did with the characters. I lo- There are just scenes in it that I just loved, you know, the calling yeah. of Matthew. Yeah. When he calls Matthew at the booth. And, so I haven't seen and, that one oh, yet. <laughs> it's just so good. You know, when, 
when he encounters Mary Magdalene and and it's just you know I, there's there's just some classic scenes. Well, it, it's been something we've been saving it for the school holidays. Me and the yeah. family, we've been saving it the school holidays. And the rate that everything is going now with the coronavirus, while we're yeah. call, calling on this, yeah. it's a pandemic happening. We'll talk about well, that. Well, there you go. If you're locked in, uh, <laughs> exactly. you get onto The Chosen, it's actually, you actually have to buy the app. Yeah. Well, uh, I think the app's free. Yeah, the app's free. And, and you get to watch and one you episode do a pay for it free. Forward, yeah, yeah. And then you pay it forward. But they've just announced that they've released the whole series for free. Wow. Yeah, as a bit of a. Um, Marketing. Yeah, well, it's not just, I think, well, on their part, they're, they're saying just a bit of a contribution to what's happening around the world. Oh, wow. Um, but, I mean, there's still, it's, so it's, it's the first, it's the first crowd-funded TV series. Yeah. Christian Basic, TV. Yeah, yeah, it's, yeah. yeah it's the f- it's first cr- crowd-funded, I think, of its kind. And, so. and they want to do season two and I think they're trying to raise $8 million for season yeah, two, I've yeah. heard. Yeah. So well, it's it's not it's not cheaply made. No. It's, yeah. It's, it looks fantastic. Yeah, it looks and there's fantastic. actors in it that you go, oh, I recognise that guy. Yeah. Oh, I recognise yeah. that guy. They've got real actors in it yeah. and doing real real things. Yeah, so, so watch The Chosen. I, All right. I recommend it. There we go. The, the, a, 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 a mini episode <laughs> of What to Watch with Matthew Jacoby in the middle That's of this right. Thrive Deeper. I love it. Now, listen, we, let's get into it because uh, we're still we're still um, having to re-educate ourselves with doing these fortnightly episodes. We've got yeah. so much to cover <laughs> yeah. in, in a short amount of time and we're in the book of Exodus. And we're doing fortnightly episodes because... We've got Thrive Perspectives. Thrive Perspectives on the other, uh, on the other week. So make sure you... Um, get onto that. How can yeah. they get onto that, DJ? <laughs> yes, yeah. I like the way you went on a roll there and then realised. Yeah. Uh, the easiest way, the easiest way, we say this every week, Thrive Today. We've got a new website, thrivetoday.tv. Thrive. Oh, have we? Yeah. Well, it's a new domain, thrivetoday.tv. The new website is getting built as we, as we, okay. uh, as we uh, are talking. I've seen a glimpse of the new website. It's excellent and there's some new stuff coming in the new website. I'm so excited about it. Yeah. Can't say anything about it just yet but keep keep watching this space. You go there, you can find all the links to be able to subscribe and however you subscribe to podcasts, however you subscribe to your audio shows, you can find that for this Thrive Deeper, whether you're listening to it just on the website, a lot of people listen to it just on thrivetoday.tv or you can find the links to Thrive Perspectives and Thrive Today in all your different podcasts, what they call podcast catches, all the different apps that you use. Uh, if you just do a search for Thrive Perspectives now in anything, you'll find it. Yeah. And it's and it's there for you to subscribe. And and heads up, you want to you want to subscribe to it now because next Friday, uh, let's say March the 27th, episode four of P- Perspectives comes out. And this is going to be one that will give you a little bit of a, a, a heads up. We're going to be talking about panic and fear in light of the Christian's attitude to what's going on around the world right now. Mm. And uh, we haven't recorded that episode yet, so Matt and I look at each other going, we don't know exactly what we're going to say. Yeah. <laughs> well, there's some interesting sort of historical, you know, perspectives and yeah. uh, it's an interesting worldview perspective, I yeah. think, on that, on so, the whole thing. So subscribe to yeah. Thrive Perspectives, make sure you keep listening and you, and you get a we hold had, of them. We had great feedback, you were saying, about the yeah. last episode that we did on how we know. Yeah, episode three came out of, of Thrive Perspectives last week and that was how we know. Now, a little bit pulling the curtain back behind the scenes, I was a little bit underwhelmed when we recorded that. I was like, oh, I don't know if we really got the message across what we're trying to say. 
every time I feel like that, like, you know, you hear these stories all the time, that's when everybody decides yeah. to call you and say, that was the best episode. That was so exactly what I needed. So really lovely feedback. Thank you, especially Megan uh, and, uh, and uh, uh, Tony and a few other people who contacted me directly and said really what they needed at yeah. the time. So I, I like that episode. But, you know, I mean, <laughs> that's me with my apologetics <laughs> philosophy hat on, which is I like wearing that. You hat. can, you can, yeah. you can uh, wear that all day long. Yeah. All right, so that's what we're doing behind the scenes. Thank you again, once again, to everybody for the support. And during this time where a lot of people are locked in, uh, social isolating or social distancing and even working from home or sadly to say a lot, I've talked to a lot of people today in my job on the radio uh, on the radio program, a lot of people literally being put out of work. A lot of casual workers saying there's no work. So maybe this is the time to subscribe to some podcasts and listen in and hopefully yeah. we can yeah. we can encourage you there. Now, this week we want to get into the book of Exodus. We left off on the last episode of the Passover. Mm-hmm. We're in the book of Exodus, we're around chapter 13, and this is we've we've got the story of Moses leading the Israelites out of Egypt once the final plague has taken place. And that that final plague was uh, the plague on the firstborn. Yeah. Uh, so the idea of that is, I mean, God is, in other words, saying, you took my firstborn, I'm going to take yours. I mean, so it really ramps up towards the end there. And, of course, that's when Pharaoh lets the people go. Now, Pharaoh, one last time, is going to change his mind. Yeah. And he's the- going to go in pursuit uh, of the people. So God is leading the people out and uh, they're by the pillar of cloud and fire. Mm. And interestingly... Uh, he leads them. Now, one of the big things that's going to happen, he's led them out of Egypt. Uh, he's teaching them that they can't trust, uh, you know, that they can't trust Pharaoh, the gods of Egypt. God has demonstrated his sovereignty in defeating the gods of Egypt. Yeah. Uh, in fact, it even says in chapter 12 there that he, he you know, t- talks about God judging the gods of Egypt. Yes. Which is what had just happened. So God is teaching his people, don't trust them, trust me. And he's going to lead them out now uh, into a life of faith. This Mm. is a big deal now. Uh, He's going to teach them how to live and walk by faith. So they're following the pillar of cloud. Uh, They're led to the edge. uh, Now, just at this point, it's worth saying something about the number of people that came out. Okay, yeah. So So there is some conjecture around this. Yeah, so it says... In um, Exodus 12, 37, the Israelites journeyed from Ramses to Succoth. Uh, there were about 600,000 men on foot beside women and children. Now, if you if you add the women and children to that, you've, you're looking at, if we take that number, mm. you're looking at about 2 million people. That's now, amazing. people have cul- calculated, and this, this there's an issue with that, and most, uh, well, um, all of the commentators that I read said that there's actually no way that we can, that it could have been that many people, mm. partly because, for a couple of reasons, partly because the line, even of the line itself would have extended from Egypt to, mm. you know, a right into the promised land. Uh, also because it describes them being encamped between this place and that place and there's no way that two million people could have encamped mm. in those sorts of places. So the question is... Now, you know, we know that, that, I mean, numbers get used differently to the way that we use numbers. It's not like the, there's no evidence here they took a census or mm. um, uh, at least at this stage. 
Um, I mean, so uh, the, the suggestions that, uh, that come in, one suggestion is around the word thousand, which uh, the word thousand can be used, um, uh, the, it's the word elef, and it, it actually can describe a military unit. Okay. It's, it's a word for a military unit as well as a number. Mm-hmm. And so because it talks about, and it's interesting, it says there are about 600,000 men on foot or footmen. Mm. So it's almost it's, yeah, it's, it's using military language yeah. there and then it's using a number that, has, that can have military kind of overtones. Mm-hmm. So uh, it can mean, but I mean, the interesting, the LF, I, actually I won't get too much in the details here because we're, uh, otherwise we won't. Um, progress. Yeah, we won't <laughs> progress. <laughs> Point is, is that there are some different ways of taking this, uh, taking this number and the New American Commentary, um, which is one of the better ones on uh, Exodus, uh, suggests that this is the way to go, that we understand this as um, kind of tribal unit or, or, or that it's talk, it's actually it's talking about units of fighting men, okay. as it were, uh, units which... Uh, which would have like a squad or a platoon, which would have been made up of um, not larger than fifteen, you know. So it's like six hundred units of, of these fighting kind of men. fifteen, yeah. you know, um, at least because that's what how we know that they numbered LFs. Mm. In in an LF was the number of men that a village could turn yes. out, and often yep. that was about fifteen yep. in very you know small village uh, situations. So yep. look, there's. <laughs> You know, I mean, that's one. I mean, the other suggestion is that it's you know it's literary hyperbole. Yeah. There's another suggestion um, that uh, goes along the lines uh, that it's um, what we call gematria, which is um, where you uh, where letters are equivalent to numbers. Okay. And, and if you look at the sons of Israel. Uh, it number it it actually turns out the number six hundred and three thousand five hundred and fifty one, which later on that's it says there was six. Uh, there pretty much later on uh, in numbers one forty six says there's six hundred and three five hundred and fifty. Wow! So, it's, so that it's may that be right, it there yeah. as well. It may be a you know it's it's like the numeric version of the sons of Israel. So it basically. Was, a cautious commentator will say, "Here are the suggestions. We don't really know what's exactly. going on here." Yeah, and whatever, and whatever, whichever way you come at it, it's a big group of people. And it's, it, it's funny. I was re- as I was reading this this time, which was a few weeks ago in our you know yeah. in our history, um, when I was rereading it again, it was the same times there was a massive protest in Hong Kong, the Hong Kong pro- protest of yeah. early 2020, and two million people in Hong Kong marched yeah. and protest. Yeah. And there's a video of it yeah. and it goes forever, you know, and I was like that is what two million people look like yeah. marching through the street. It blew my mind yeah. and I went, you know, and again I'm not saying that there was two million people or anything like that but I was like that, like even if it was a million people or 600,000 or whatever, yeah. you go, okay, that's what it takes, you know, to to move that many people coming out of a, out of a place. It was a real... I open yeah, yeah, yeah. That's right. So even if I mean uh, the New American Commentary suggests there were like twenty eight to thirty six thousand uh, that came out, it's still a massive. And again, Egypt, the population of Egypt mm. uh, would. Uh, I mean, we're not talking the population of Melbourne or something no. like that. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, 
So that still would have had that would that's a, a massive. In massive amount of people yeah. uh, for that time, and so it's a huge disruption. Okay, let's let's go forward. In chapter thirteen, we have uh, you know God calling Moses, dedicate to me the firstborn among the Israelites. Yeah, reiterating again what this plague was about, the firstborns, and yeah. you know going on going on from there. We then um, get a, a a little detour there in the wilderness where he takes him through. Um, you know, different ways, to, you know, that they thought yeah. that they would be going. Yeah. Um, and as as God is leading them there uh, with the uh, with the cloud of you know the cloud of fire and the and the cloud you know the cloud itself, we go into chapter fourteen, and finally, um, you know, God is God is ramping up the Israelites. He's like, listen, I want you yeah. to camp out here, and once again, he says very clearly here in fourteen verse four, I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and yeah. he will chase after you. I've planned this in order to display my glory through Pharaoh and his whole army. After this, the Egyptians will know that I am the Lord. So the Israelites camped there as they were told. And sure yeah. enough. Yeah, interesting thing is God leads them. Yeah. Uh, and, and, you know, with the Egyptians in pursuit, leads them up to the edge of the, of the sea. Now, we're, we're actually not sure where this was, uh, it's it could have been the, the northern tip of the Red Sea, mm-hmm. uh, the Gulf of Suez. Uh, a lot of people think there was an in where the Suez Canal is now. There was a network of big lakes wow. uh, right up through there. Mm-hmm. Some people think that that's uh, which is really the extension of the of the Red Sea. Some people think it was uh, there. Some people even think it was even further north, mm. uh, up in the sort of north of the Mediterranean, because it, it's really translated Sea of Reeds. Yes. Now, some people think it was the Red uh, Red Sea, uh, but it could also have been uh, up... Further north. Of, yes, further north. So we don't know exactly where it was. The point is, is that from the Israelites' point of view, to see this from their point of view, they're f- trusting God. God leads them right to the edge of a big body, body of water and they are cornered. Now, they're thinking, well, this isn't a good idea. It's like God has. They are feeling misled <laughs> at the, by at this stage, yeah. which is why they they freak out and say um, to why Moses, did you bring us here to die in the wilderness? In verse eleven, was it because there were no graves in Egypt that you brought us uh, to the desert to die? What have mm. you done by bringing us out of Egypt? Didn't we say to you in Egypt, leave us alone, let us serve the Egyptians? It would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the desert. Mm. So, you, because I mean. They've got nowhere to go from their from their point of view. Um, uh, so, and it's interesting. Um, I mean, Moses says to the people, "Do not be afraid. Stand firm. You'll see the deliverance of the Lord today." So Moses actually has uh, he's a man of faith at yeah. this stage. I mean, yeah. his faith has had to grow through this massively. Uh, he says, "The Lord will fight for you." And it's interesting in verse fifteen. It says, "Then the Lord said to Moses, Why are you crying out to me? <laughs> Tell the Israelites to move on.'" Raise yeah. your stuff, stretch out your hand over yeah. the water, divide the water. It's like, dirt, dirt. Fred. <laughs> I love that attitude there with God and, and Moses. What are you doing coming back to me? Yeah. My great glory will just be displayed. The whole, again, his point is Egypt will see my glory and know that I'm the Lord. Yeah. That's the reason why he's so doing it. One of, the, one of the issues here, and I'm going to say something about the, uh, the sea, any large body uh, of water in the ancient world was seen as the gateway to the underworld. The, 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 the sea, whether it was the Sea of Galilee or the Mediterranean Sea or whichever sea or the Red Sea, yep. was seen uh, symbolised for these people death and the forces of chaos. Mm. Now, Egypt, um, th- this is, 
the, the forces of chaos for an ancient Egyptian, which is synonymous with death, was the thing that they feared the most. They saw Pharaoh and the gods of Egypt as kind of holding back the forces of chaos, which would otherwise envelop. So this is how, you know, Pharaoh was seen as maintaining the sort of divine order. Mm. He was a god among gods, maintaining this order, holding back the forces of chaos. Now what happens in the 12 plagues is that God literally unleashes 10, sorry, the 10 plagues, 12 (laughs) tribes, 10 plagues, thank you, Uh, in the 10 plagues literally, you know, uh, unleashes the forces of chaos uh, over the over the top of Egypt. Uh, now we've seen this theme already in Genesis chapter one. We see the you know that we begin with this picture of the waters covering the face of the earth. So this picture because Genesis one is all about order. And interesting coming out of an Egyptian sort of context, mm. it, it really makes sense why this would make sense mm. to ancient people. Because what God does is that he brings order to the chaos. Now, at that point, the chaos is not evil. It's just lifeless and not yet ordered, okay? Uh, So Genesis 1 connects with that theme of God bringing order to the chaos. Well, we see in the ten plagues, God unleashes the forces of chaos. Then we have the people coming out. And this is... This is so rich with symbolism when Mm. they come to the sea and God says to Moses, part the waters. So in other words, Moses, by God's authority and by the power of God, unlike, see, Pharaoh is unable to hold back the forces of chaos, Mm. which have just enveloped Egypt in the form of the ten plagues. And yet now, in, in a much more literal and immediate and tangible sense, Moses divides the water with his staff and literally holds back the force of chaos. So it's the God of Israel through his servant Moses, not the gods of Egypt through Pharaoh that is holding back the forces of chaos. And so the Israelites go through uh, on dry land Mm. in in, in the midst of the chaos Mm. and when Pharaoh comes, he's enveloped again by the chaos. And and I love the fact that there's this... um like the lot, like you said, a lot of themes are coming together in this story, like in in this particular moment in history. Yeah. Number one, God appointing Moses, you know, as a leader yeah. to do this, yeah. and saying it's your responsibility. And then, and then we get this, we get this bit where God sort of retreats back to the back of the camp in the in the pillar of cloud and the fire, separates the Israelites and the and the, and the Egyptians from each other. Yeah. And allows the Israelites to get on and do their yep, thing. That's right. You know, like I'm gonna I'm gonna keep these guys at bay yep. and get let you do your thing. And now once you're through, yeah, I will step away and you will see what's gonna you yeah, know gonna happen. Right. There. Yeah. There's an it's so rich with like you say, it's so rich with symbolism and such a iconic moment that has been yeah. represented in film, in yeah, literature, is, yeah. in art, in paintings, in photography, <laughs> in all the different art forms, this idea, and still to this day with what we sing about sometimes in our worship and everything, this concept of the sea and, you know, God being part of it is a big theme in, in yeah, a lot of people's it, in, it, in it becomes, life. I mean, it's interesting that in Revelation 21 when it says, and I saw uh, a new heavens and a new earth for the uh, old heavens and the old earth have passed away and there was no longer any sea. Mm. Now, you know, in the symbolism of Revelation 21, 
um, it's not saying that in a new heavenly earth there's literally going to be no sea. It's, it's, there's no more kind of realm of death. It's, it's talking about no more. It's yeah. the ultimate overcoming of, of chaos of this symbol, which yeah. endured into the Greek and Roman world, that and, symbol. And I, think, and I think you've done a great job here, Matt, of, of, of highlighting it again to, to you, the listener. We're still in the beginning books. We're in the foundational books. Yeah, yeah, and so right. we get at the very beginning in Genesis 1, we get the idea of chaos and the sea. Now in Exodus, as he calls out his people, we get the idea of yeah. chaos and the sea yeah. again. Yeah. And this is going to be an ongoing thing yeah, all yeah. the way through to the point of Jesus, all the way through to the revelation, yeah, right. we get this idea. Yeah. So keep that in the back of your mind that sometimes, not all the time, sometimes the sea and the ocean is considered like, you know, this uh, yeah. metaphysical world yeah, or yeah, this that's right. yeah. darker world. And we see that in in the book of Daniel, the beasts come out of the sea again yep. in in uh, in. Revelation talks about the beast that comes out of the sea. Yes. So, you know, the sea is the realm of death and chaos, right? Mm. Now, you know, I think this is poignant because um, uh, our world is in a bit of chaos at the moment and yeah. and, and, and the, the world system is, is kind of uh, is always sort of pictured in Scripture as this kind of f- fickle answer to the problem of chaos, like it doesn't really hold back the chaos and it's always subject to chaos in yeah. some sense, but it's really only the purpose of God that is invulnerable to the chaos. You know, it's like you, you sense here God showing his people, if you walk with me and walk in my purpose, I will make a pathway for you through the chaos. That's a great point. That's a great point. So at the end of chapter 14 we get the Israelites literally their eyes are like saucers. They watch, yeah. they've seen all this. They come they and it says they were filled with all and they put their faith in both the Lord and Moses as the yeah. Egyptians are washing up at the shore yeah. in front of them. Uh amazing scene here. And then we get chapter 15, which is I, I yeah. love it, and we're not going to spend yeah. a lot of time here. This is the first yeah. song yeah. in the Bible. Yeah. Now, you as a musician and you yeah. as a psalmist and you as a the man behind Sons of Korah, have you ever considered putting Exodus 15 <laughs> to song? No, I haven't. Yeah. Uh, it's very psalm-like uh, yes. in the way that it recounts the event and you you imagine uh, the, the, the joy that went with this song. Uh, they would have, you know, th- this is... And the fact that there's a song here immediately was commemorated, was put into the form of a song, so it could be commemorated and passed on. Mm. I remember, I remember the uh, you know the chorus of Miriam that we'd often sing in church camps and stuff growing up. Yeah. You know, the both the horse and rider hurled into the sea, yeah. and I was as a young kid, I'm like, really, we're singing? What are we singing about here? <laughs> is this is this uh, what's going on? Well, you know, it's interesting that it, that last verse in chapter 14. You know. Um, that the people feared the Lord and put their trust in him and his servant Moses. Mm. Then they celebrate. Then you have the celebration. Mm. Then the very next thing that happens mm. is that they come, uh, they come, they go through the desert for three days and they come to this body of water, which is uh, bitter, probably salt. It probably ends up being yep. uh, salt water. So, uh, or, or just contaminated water of some kind. Uh, and so they cry out and... Um, you know, they grumbled against Moses. What are we to drink? Well, they're still Straight got, away. okay, they, they've put their faith in the Lord, but their faith, God is going to teach them to exercise that faith. Mm. Uh, this was a chance to do that, and they don't do very well. And we're going to see that in successive examples here. Yeah. They're really going to struggle with with this 
issue of faith. Big time, big time. This is a, this is the new theme that we're picking up the thread. And we've seen hints of it before in, in, in almost in the person of Moses where Moses uh, will, you know, say, um, you know, complain right at the very beginning, like, yeah. you know, have this open relationship with God. Well, now we're getting it in a slightly different way, not so much a complaint about what God has called us to do, but just whinging in the yeah, Australian yeah. way to say it or, you know, being being yeah. Yeah. awfully obstinate in not wanting to believe. Yeah. Well, they're, they're grumbling. You know, this, that's different to what the Psalms do when they complain. Psalms bring complaint. Grumbling is what you do when you don't believe. Complaint is what you bring to God when you do believe. Oh, that's a great, that's so, a great point. Uh, the Psalms of complaint are holding on to God's promises, saying, God, you said that you would. Yes. Now it's, it's an actual expression of prayer. Grumbling is not praying. Grumbling is what you do when you walk away from God, saying, ah, I want to go back to Egypt. This is ridiculous. Uh, so... Um, th- that's a really important difference. Now here, at, at this final stage, we uh, sorry, in this initial stage, um, Moses cries out to the Lord and the Lord, you know, cures the water, yeah. makes it drinkable. There's no fuss there. The problem is, is that they should learn from this. Every time God does something, mm. he's teaching his people, I'm going to look after you. It's going to be all right. So he miraculously uh, makes the water yep. drinkable. Then... We read in chapter 16 that they're travelling in the desert again and they've got no food after 15 days. Now, sometimes when we're reading it, this, I'll just, I'm, again, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bat here for the Israelite yeah. people. It makes it feel like the next hour or the no, next day. No, 15 days later. Yeah, this is, this is big groups of people, long, not long, but some period of time in between these yeah, incidents. And this is dry desert too. Mm. The, the, the desert that they wanted in the whole re- region of the Negev Desert in what is now southern Israel is, I mean, we've, I've travelled through it, through it a number of times and it is hot yeah. and and really, really arid. There's just, mm. there's nothing, there's nothing there. Mm. And this is what they're travelling through. Okay, so y- y- you get it. So it says, again, the whole community grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The Israelites said to them, if only we had died by the Lord's hand in Egypt. There we sat around pots of meat and ate all the food we wanted, but you have brought us out into the desert to stuff. You see, see, they think we had stability in Egypt under that system. Now Let, we let's don't. leave out the slavery part and the yeah, whippings yeah. and the beatings and the throwing the children into the sea, like into the Nile. Let's yeah, leave yeah. out that part. We had all the food we wanted. Yeah, that's right. Um, I, I love, I love that. And again, Matt, I want you to reiterate that because I think that's such a, a an important point that we might get mixed up on is. The difference between a complaint, what you call a grumble, what I call whinging, yeah. When we read through the through the Bible here, especially through through this through this account of, of Exodus, that is a big difference. Yeah. You know, we hear, we might hear Moses complain, and now sometimes Moses does fall into despair. And sometimes, he, but the, the, the key moments. There are key moments where Moses complains to the Lord and the Lord responds yes. w- with great favour. Yes, yes. Because that's Moses exercising his faith, you yep. see. Because so, because Moses' complaint comes out of that faith. Yeah, that's right. He's saying to God, and this is what we read in the Psalms, you have said this, I'm not experiencing this. Yeah. What's exactly. wrong with the so picture? He, he turns to God. Yes, with a faith-filled prayer, these people are turning away from God, grumbling, right. saying, "We want to go back to Egypt because they don't believe." Because they don't believe. That's okay. Right. Now, 
that's a great point. And now yeah. we can get totally sidetracked on that, <laughs> right? Which I'm tempt, I'm very tempted to. But we're about to take a break right now. So as we yeah. go to the break, I want you to I want you to how do we measure that in my own heart? Yeah. Because sometimes I think I'm complaining to God in a right way, but then okay. afterwards yeah. I go, I was just whinging. I was yeah. just this petulant child complaining about my, you know, where do we, how do we measure that in our, it's easy for us to look back at these Israelites and go, oh, silly Israelites. How do we measure that in our own heart? You want me to answer that now after yeah, the break? No, now. no you go, go now. <laughs> Throw it to you right now. Um, well, complaint really is whatever we do before God. I mean, there are things, uh, you know, there are statements made in the Psalms that sound really like that petulant child. Yeah. And that's okay. As long as you're coming to God like a child, even if it's a, if, even if it's a petulant one, that's better. <laughs> you know, like, you know, God, why have you rejected us forever? I mean, that's a corporate lament. Mm. Uh, and it's, it's this massive overstatement because the Psalmist knew that God had made an everlasting covenant with them. But that's so, how they felt. Yeah, so Psalm 74, why have you rejected us forever? That's how they felt. And it's actually a little bit of a provocation. There's that little provocation. It's like my children's, you don't love me. Or, you know, uh, well, it's not quite like that, but it's it's that kind of provocation. God, but you said you would yeah. and you're not, yeah. right? That's, that's complete. And, and I know, I mean, and this is the thing that some people find hard about the Psalms. Oh, really? Can you say that? That just seems really I- irrelevant. Uh, at like complaint in that sense just seems like a bad thing, whereas we wouldn't have it in the Psalms if it was a bad thing. The Psalms are being held forth to us and as if to say this is what faith looks like. That's what the, this, the prayer Psalms, the Psalms of Lament, but you know, above all else, demonstrate to us this is what faith does. They bring a complaint, they bring appeals. But God, you said, well, how will you be glorified if if I die here? Um, remember your unfailing love. Remember the covenant that you made, uh, God. We you've rejected us. You now you've cast us off. But you said you you know, that's the sort of it's that kind of complaint, that bold complaint. You know we're told in the book of Hebrews to come before the throne of grace boldly and I think the writer of Hebrews speaking to Jewish people they know what that looks like it looks like the Psalms just going to take a really quick break in the middle of this exodus story just to touch base and make sure that you're okay as i record this we're recording this in the middle of march 2020 the day that it comes out and i just wanted to acknowledge that a lot of people are really stressed and worried about the pandemic the uh COVID-19, the coronavirus, the Chinese virus, the Wuhan flu, whatever you want to call it, everyone's worried about it. The media is telling you to be fearful and a lot of people are panic buying, social distancing, locking themselves down in lockdown and there's a lot of fear out there. 
In light of that, Matthew and I are going to sit down next week and record a special edition of the new podcast, Thrive Perspectives, where you might have heard us mention it at the beginning of the show. I just wanted to let you know that you have the opportunity to send us a question. If you're, if you're worried about this, if you're panicking or someone you know is worried about it, if you've got questions around this whole coronavirus thing that we're living through at the moment, please send them in to us. We would love to cover it on our sister podcast, Thrive Perspectives. Make sure you're subscribed and you rate that one as well. To get a question to us, it couldn't be more simple. You've got a couple of opportunities. Head over to Thrive Today. TV. That's our home for everything online, thrivetoday.tv. And we are also on Facebook. We have the page Thrive Today. So if you go to facebook.com forward slash Thrive Today, you'll find our page there. And then underneath that, we have our two private groups, Thrive Deeper, for this show that we're doing now, and Thrive Perspectives, the new one. You can let us know, discuss, uh, talk to other people in those groups and on that page. All the information there is on thrivetoday.tv, the website, and also the links to the Facebook pages. It's all there. You can send us a question and get in touch with us there. So to put a little bit of a time frame on it, Matthew and I will be recording probably on Thursday the 26th of March. So get your question in before then. Get your question in, let's say, by Wednesday, the 25th of March, if you've got one about the coronavirus and how a Christian should be living and acting around that. And we'll try to cover it on this upcoming podcast of Thrive Perspectives. All right, so I hope that next episode of Thrive Perspectives could be really helpful to where you are. Let's do it. Let's get back into the episode. Let's join back with Matt as we go into the book of Exodus on this edition of Thrive Deeper. You're back. Episode 91 of Thrive Deeper, and we are in Exodus chapter 16. It's DJ here with Matt, and we get Exodus 16. It's this beautiful account, and again, a real important, uh, I'll, I'll say, put a bookmark on this chapter because I think it's another element in our themes and everything that we learn because mm. this will come up again, concept of manner. God providing manna and quail to the to the hungry yeah. Israelites. Again, they've complained to Moses, we're going to die. Moses goes to God and God says, watch this, you know, and then this amazing, yeah. like, uh, very detailed account of, of the orderliness around manna and the quail that the people could eat. Yeah, that's right. Well, um, you know, this, of course, come when we pray, Lord, give us today our daily bread, it evokes that the daily provision of uh, of manna, which is it was this bread like um, uh, bread like substance, whatever mm. it was, um, for the Israelites. Now, this is interesting too, because in Egypt, what the plagues did essentially is destroy the ability of the Egyptians to produce for themselves. The locusts destroyed all the crops. Yep. So we see that that was vulnerable. The gods of Egypt could not prevent. The famine that would 
naturally ensue from that. Yes. Food is the basic kind of – this is the basic need. So it's the bottom of, you know, it's the foundation of Maslow's, you know, hierarchy, hierarchy of, of needs. needs. Yep. This is – God is showing that he, he can provide this. Egypt could not. Egypt could not prevent famine. Yeah. But he can lead his people through a desert mm. – a really, really arid desert and they will still have bread and they will still have meat. And meat is much more of a luxury, particularly a rich meat like quail. Mm. So, Which is a luxury even to this yeah, day. Yeah, which is a luxury even to this day. <laughs> so they've got bread and they've got meat yeah. and they're wandering through the desert. So this is such a clear demonstration on God's part that should inspire faith oh. in them. 100%. And one test of that faith is on the uh, on Friday, the day before the Sabbath, yep. I want you to, on each day they were to collect only um, what they one day's, mm-hmm. but on the Sabbath they were to collect two days. And if they tried to, if they worked any other way around it, if that they tried the to... the only day that they could collect yeah. twice the amount. Now, of course, um, they do what a lot of people nowadays are doing, trying to hoard... <laughs> Uh, you know, because we don't know. We don't know if there's going to be enough. Will there still be manna? Even though God had said to them through Moses, I will provide this for you every day, Mm. yet they still go and hoard. Because the idea here is that go out and collect manna, there'll be enough for everyone. Mm. Well, the lack of faith comes out in the fact that some people hoarded and when they did it, it Stunk up and yeah, yep. went around. And I love the description of we don't we don't learn much about it, but we do find out that it's white like a coriander uh, yep. coriander seed, and it tasted like honey wafers. Yeah, what are honey wafers? I don't know. I don't know, but it sounds pretty. <laughs> it good. sounds good. Look, in those days, yeah. anything honey. I mean, honey oh. was a real delicacy in yeah. those days. That's why you know a milk. You know, milk and honey, that's when mm. the, the promised land is described as the land flowing with milk and honey. Mm. You know, honey is a, a real delicacy. So the fact, so this is, God is providing for them. This isn't just dry, tasteless crust. It's manna and quail. Yeah. They're yeah. getting well looked he, after. He, he could have provided a pill. That's that, right. That, that tasted well as, like nothing. That's right. And satisfied And their we've beef. seen that he has provided water for them. Yeah. But as we turn over into... Chapter, uh, 17. chapter 17. One, one last thing about 16 before we go to 17. Yeah. I, I know you're about to go into the thought about the water from yeah, the rock, yeah. but I, I love the fact that we get this outside of time mm-hmm. narrative at the end of 16 there where it talks about how the future generations will see the manner, you know, the manner has been kept yeah. and it's going to be kept in the ark and it's going to be like we get this, we get, yeah. you know, we get this obvious um, the editors working with Moses. Yeah. Yep. Are coming alongside and sort of Good point. almost almost saying, "Hey guys," and it did happen, and we have kept, like, and it's still, you know, like they've sort of coming that, in. That, and- that's a that's actually a very good point. Yeah. Uh, partly, I'm glad you picked up on that because to take a jar of manna and put it in the ark, yeah, that's significant for a couple uh, of reasons. Because you go, "What's the ark?" We don't haven't got to that part of the story. Yeah, yet. yeah that's right. <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Um, well, they do. They eventually place yeah, it in the ark. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But the fact that they're going to keep it for generations to come, there's two reasons for that. First of all, it means that what God is doing here is meant to say something. Mm-hmm. See, the, again, everything here has this Amen. Um, important symbolic significance. Mm-hmm. It's really happening, but it also, it's not just about the results. It's not just 
about the fact that they got fed. God is speaking yep. to his people of all generations about his ability to provide for his people. This yep. is who he wants to be for them. And so store it in the jar. Yep. Eventually it's put in the ark. You know, everything that's in the temple is there. It's like part of God's covenant. Mm-hmm. So by doing this, getting them to do this, God is saying to them, hold on to this and be reminded because I'm making a promise. Mm. This is not just what I did. This is what I will do. Mm. That's the f- And the second significance, as you've said, yeah. is that did this really happen? <laughs> well, yeah. the evidence, yes, we've got evidence yeah. uh, of this. And I, and I love the fact I consider myself part of the generations to come. I mean, we don't have the ark yeah. sitting here. And we, we don't have the manna. We don't have the manna, but we have this recording of it yeah. and we know that God provided provided this because if he didn't, we wouldn't have this account of anything. Yeah, so right. yeah. we can consider ourselves yeah, that's right. And, and as you said too, evidence of later editorial work yeah. Yeah, uh, yeah. on the book of Exodus. Yeah. Which is, which is you know, uh, you know, a, a great a great thing to realise that this has been put together by yeah. by a team of people, you know, uh, you know, along with, with Moses. Anyway, blah, 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 we go down that way. Uh, chapter 17, we've got manna and quail, the Israelites being provided for. Um, they've left, you know, gone into another place uh, called Rephidim. There was no water for the people to drink. So once again, they go through the dance. Uh, the people complain. Moses is like, why are you complaining against me? Yeah. You know, why are you testing the Lord? And they were kept on complaining to him. So finally he goes to the people and goes, he goes to God and goes, what am I going to do with these people? Yeah. Please help me. They're ready to stone me. And God, and God says, look, it's okay. And this is an important part because this is going to come up again later on. Yeah. Walk out in front of the people, take your staff, the one that you used when you struck the water of the Nile, and call some elders of Israel to join you. I will stand before you on that rock at Mount Sinai. Strike the rock. Yeah. Just one strike once. Yeah. You know, and God is saying, I'm standing in front between you and that rock. Yeah. Strike the rock and, and water, water will, will gush out and yeah. people will be able to drink. So he did what he was told and people were, you know, yeah, so they're there to witness it. The elders are there to witness it because yeah. it's not just about, again, it's not just about the result. No. It's God's saying learn something. the lesson. Yes. God's saying something. I want yeah. you to learn the lesson here. And he's really being patient with them here and there. I mean, they're just again and again. You just think that they would have they would have learned by now. Mm. Yeah. Um, but, hey, they're travelling through the desert. It's hard. Would, uh, you know, I wonder sometimes we can think, what a bunch of idiots, yes. how could they not get it? Oh. But would we, you know, are, are we really that different? I mean, God's done amazing works of provision in my life and yet I still find myself, uh, you know, in the face of, you know, new challenges, feeling worried and concerned and, and I think God would say, what, I, I've provided for you before, why are you... Why do you have this attitude? I, I love that point, Matt. It's a point that I think that we really need to, to underline here, that when we're reading these stories, we need to be putting ourselves in the shoes of not Moses and Aaron yeah. to the Israelite yeah, people. Right. We're supposed to be identifying with them because even though we go, oh, come on, people, don't you see? Yeah. But really, if we were there, would we be any different? <laughs> That's you know? right. And yet, and yet we're warned. Mm. In Psalm 95, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as 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 they did it in, in the Mer- as they in the Meribah Massa yeah. in the desert. Yeah. It's talking actually about this very account. Wow. Because he's saying these people and it's interesting the way that it puts it. It says uh, today if you 
if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. This is about do you hear what God's saying to you? Yeah. The problem here is that they experienced the provision, but they didn't really listen to what God was saying in the provision. Yeah. That's the important thing. And what we need to make sure when we read this is that we are listening to what God is saying through these stories. That's a great Take point. that to heart yep. and not freak out mm-hmm. when things <laughs> look precarious. Exactly. I mean, that's okay. Topical. But exactly. Anyway. Exactly. Okay. <laughs> the last half of chapter seventeen, we get that great story. We get the introduction to Joshua. Uh, you know, I think this is the first time we see Joshua in the in the narrative. Uh, you know, and he's and he's immediately like Moses's right hand man, yeah. like this commander of you know uh, of the army. He's 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 really high up guy, yeah. and they fight the uh, Amalekites, and yeah. we get this amazing story of uh, Moses uh, holding up the rod. In, uh, over the top of the army, like up there, sort of interceding mm. for the people, and they figure out, hang on, Moses, when you when you've got the uh, when you got your arms up with the rod, the people the Israelites are doing really well. Yeah. But as soon as you get tired and put your staff down, yeah. uh, they're getting defeated. So, <laughs> Aaron and her come alongside him, hold up the rod for him, and you know, and and they defeat the Amalekite army. It's really profound this story at this point. Of course, the Amalekites are going to become the arch enemies uh, of of the Israelites. But the point of this situation with Moses and raising his hands, this is part of the whole lesson around learning to live this life of faith. God is teaching his people, this is how you move forwards. Mm. You pray your way forwards. Mm. Mm. It's through prayer. The Prayer becomes, inc- you know, I mean, we've seen this in the lives of the patriarchs, you know, Abraham's prayer in Genesis 18 and how he interceded and that. And, and we see the importance of Jacob wrestling with God, I will not let you go until you bless me. Mm. All of these stories that underscore the importance, these key moments of prayer. Yep. Uh, God is going to reveal from here on when Moses comes to him and intercedes on behalf of the people, I mean, God's going to, it almost appears at point as though God's going to change his mind. Mm. I'm going to judge these people. I'm... Let's start again. Yeah. Moses says to God, no, don't because of this and this reason. Yeah. And God says, okay, I won't. And, I mean, we jump to the theological problem of, gee, did God? Yeah. No, but actually the, what the text is trying to encourage us to do is pray. God wants us to have a say. Mm-hmm. Come and come to me and pray. And this is illustrating what will happen mm-hmm. that our fate depends well, our fate ultimately depends on God's sovereignty. Yep. But here our well-being depends in a sense on our prayer. Mm. You know, whether we win or lose depends on prayer. A praying people is a victorious people. Mm. This is really important. I think it's important for them. This is how it's going to work now. It's not by, you know, not by might, not by strength, but by my spirit and God is going to do wield his power in response to prayer. That's the message at this point. Totally. And it's a, it's such a rich picture. Again, it's one that's been reiterated again and again in sermons after sermons, different, um, you know, illustrations coming out of that. You know, you've got everything from the power of prayer to the supporting of Aaron and her to, a, you know. Yeah, to, it's such to a, a graphic picture. Oh, amazing picture to the point where one of my favourite ones, and I still sort of, I still sort of carry this with me today. I remember being a young boy hearing this sermon, one of the first sermons I heard about this, and the pastor's point, I think, I, I still think it was a, it's a good point, was like God didn't say 
okay, Joshua and the gang stay at home just as long as Moses holding up his staff magically, I'm going to do this thing. Yeah. Which he could have. Yeah. Which he does, again, like we see yeah. where times where God says, you, you stay back there, I'm going to do it for you. Yeah. But he sort of, there's this wonderful picture of everything working together mm. well. Like Joshua is really fighting. Like yeah. he's really out there clashing swords yeah. with people and, and they're really battling. Yeah, that's right. And they're doing, their, they're doing their best what God has called them to do. But over that is this prayer, this prayer. and That's leadership right. and everything. It's That's a beautiful right. picture. And, and it's, as I said, it is so graphic that as long as there is prayer over them, they're winning. And when the, it's symbolically symbolised by the hands, but when the hands are lowered, they start losing. Mm. I, and I think, this is so, I think this is so important for us as Christians and for the church. As long as, as, long as there is prayer... We'll be winning. Mm. Without it, we lose. Mm. Mm. Let's let's uh, we got. Uh, let's see if we can finish off uh, maybe one or two more chapters in this episode, Matt. Uh, one of my this is one of my favourite stories in, in this part of uh, thing. In chapter eighteen, yeah. I lo- I, Tell me I, why. I just love this character of Jethro. He's really? a mysterious, okay. you know, God following, wiz wise man. Yeah. And we and we we get obviously the picture that at some point in that whole plagues of Egypt, yeah. Moses had said to uh, Zipporah, his wife, and his yeah. two sons, go back to dad. Yeah. He's going to look after yeah. you. You know, I'll let you know when to come along. So, you know, Jethro uh, back in Midian and Zipporah and the kids yeah. uh, are like, okay, we've heard these amazing tales are coming back from all yeah. over the land that, yeah. you know, this is happening with Moses and the God of the Israelites. So he brings Zipporah and Jethro and that come out to to, to meet uh, Moses yeah. and, um, you know, so Moses goes out and it, and I love, this is one of the reasons why I love it. Moses, imagine what this would look like to the people. Yeah. This man comes into the camp who's a foreigner in, yeah. in one sense. I know they related. Yeah. And Moses bows down before Jethro yeah. and, and kisses him. And, you know, and he's, he's, yeah. he's an equal with Moses straight away. And, and I love the, I love the, you know, Jethro sort of, being this wise sage who's watching Moses' day-to-day life yeah. and goes, what are you doing, you fool? Like this, <laughs> you're going to kill yourself, you idiot. Yeah. You know, like basically uh, with the way that Moses is sort of adjudicating everything for all yeah. the people. And Jethro's advice is so practical, yeah. so so wise, but it's not a big song and dance like thus yeah. they say if the Lord is brought to. Like it's that really... Yeah discerning mind coming into yeah, a thing that's, that's going right. on. And this is going to lay the foundation for the sort of structure, of the political structure of the nation as well, mm. so that it doesn't, it, not everything comes back to one king. It's, it's, a, it's a tribal confederacy with, that ha, where they have elders and uh, it's, um, you know, justice and, and fair judgment is an important thing. And so having uh, having people to go through to get go to to get justice becomes a very uh, important part. And, and as Exodus goes on, we're going to meet the law. Yeah. And but you've got to have people to administer the law. Yes. And so that's set up now, I and then it. you have the law coming yeah. there to administer. Yeah, and it's a great again. As I guess the reason why I, I like this so much and I'll be really honest here, is sometimes I feel like I'm a Jethro. Like I'm not the Moses in the story. Mm. You know, I'm not the 
the pastor in the story. Mm. I'm not the head of some ministry or whatever like that. But I'm blessed to be part of a lot of people's lives and sometimes I feel like God is like nudging me to go, all right, you got to do the Jethro thing and come along people and go, listen, you're going to work yourself to death, you idiot. Like what are you doing? There's a better way because sometimes I think we get lost when God is leading us on or we're experiencing something that's really holy or beautiful, we totally get lost in that. And we work ourselves to death. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And and I, I just I love that. And, and yeah, again, if God calls you to do something, it doesn't mean you're the only one that has to do it. Yeah. Look for the Jethro in your life. <laughs> yeah. Look for the plain speaking, discerning person who just goes, Yeah, yeah rightio. Okay, yeah, you're wonderful, but you might need some help. Yeah, with that's that right. <laughs> okay, let's move into let's finish off with chapter 19 on this episode. Now it's getting exciting. Mm. Now we're like r- ramping it up again. Um, exactly after two months after the Israelites left Egypt, they arrived in the wilderness of Sinai. Yeah. And this is really significant here because Moses climbs up the mountain to commune with God. That's right, wherever that mountain is and we don't know really where. I think there are about 12 different suggestions of where um, Mount Sinai is. So the jury's out uh, on that. Um, It doesn't, obviously doesn't really, really matter for our purposes, but here they are at the foot of Mount Sinai and it's very there's a very significant statement made here mm. uh, in verse from verse 4 where it says, you yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagle's wings mm. and brought you to myself. Now, that's important. God is bringing them to himself. Now, if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possessions. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm. These are the words you to speak to the Israelites. Now, it's interesting. God had said to Abraham, the, the covenant that God makes with Abraham is, I'm going to bless you, make your name great. You just, you just got to trust me. Leave your country and your father's household. Come with me, right? So all Abraham, I mean, Abraham has to do something significant. Abraham does have to obey to sort of step into that. But here we get more detail on what it means to actually live by faith and to step into God's purpose. Mm. You actually have to walk in God's purpose uh, and God's going to give them the law uh, that is going to act as like the, um, what are those strips that they put on the side of the road, the rumble strips? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's going to act as the rumble strips really, you know, on the side of the road. It's going to be the edges of the road. Mm. Now, uh, you know, we, we don't mark out a road to inhibit. We mark out a road to give greater freedom for travel, don't we? Mm. So um, th- there is this sense that God's going to give them these commandments so that they can fully become who they're meant to be. Mm-hmm. He's going to mark out the road so they can go faster in becoming yep. who they're meant to be, right? This is uh, an important context for the commandments. It's if you obey me fully, keep my covenant, mm-hmm then you will be, for me, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. Mm-hmm. So in order to be a kingdom of priests, you have to be a holy nation. Mm-hmm. And in order to be that, you've got to stick on the road, yeah. stay on the road. This isn't about um, if you obey me fully, then I'll accept you. That's not. This isn't a formula for how to um, be reconciled with God or how to be approved by God or, uh, sorry, how to be um, accepted by God. This is a formula for how to become a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. You've got to obey my yeah. obey my law. You've got to walk on this road. Mm, mm. So that's important. It's important context. He's reminding them there, interestingly, and it's telling them that, and Peter 
repeats this in his letter referring to us as a, as a royal priesthood. Yes. This is the role of God's people. We have this mediatorial role yeah. to mediate God's blessings to the world around us. Yeah. And he's saying to the nation, this whole nation, because God had said, I'm going to make you, you, know, make you into a great nation, and through this great nation all the ends of the earth are going to be blessed. Yeah. So that's what he's connecting with here. He's connecting with the Abrahamic promise, going to make you into a great nation, and through you all the ends of the earth are going to be blessed. Now, how is that going to happen? It's going to happen by them obeying God so that they become a holy nation yeah. and by becoming a holy nation, and holy meaning separate. And, and, we, get, and we get a visual picture of this holiness with what goes on in the rest of the chapter. Yeah. As in God says, right, I'm going to this, and again, oh, to have been there, to have yeah. seen this, yeah. this black darkness of a yeah. cloud, the presence of God. And, 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 and again, today we love to sing about the presence of God and everything like that. Yeah. I'm sure the Israelites would have a totally different take on some of our songs about the presence of God. The presence of God comes down onto that mountain. They are terrified. It is a terrifying experience, thunder, shaking, everything like that. Moses is commanded to mark off around yeah. the mountain. You are not allowed to go over this or you will Die if you come over here. Yeah. There's rules around this. There's even he even says to Moses and 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 Aaron as well, who he calls up as well. You are not to, you're not allowed to have any sexual intercourse for days in in advance to be able to yeah. come. But there's all this like holiness separation yeah. divided from the normal type of thing to come up here and commune with God. It's a powerful, powerful yeah. thing. And, and it's 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 not that the it's not that the sex was. Evil or, no, or bad no, in no, some no. way. It's actually it's it was a ritual thing, and, th- and this is going to come back later in the law. It's about complete dedication to God. It exactly. was an expression that abstinence was a complete uh, expression of complete dedication to God. So a lot of this has symbol. It's about symbolism. And it's not about the results or no. why, why did they do that. Yeah. Often it comes down to the symbol. What that symbolizes. Now I do have so, a, I do have a question. One thing popped up to me, and we'll finish off the episode with this, Matt. And I'm, I hate to throw you the question uh, at the last minute here. Um, when God is saying, you know, here's the markers. Do not come. God says. Like even the priests who regularly come near the Lord must purify themselves so the Lord does not break out and destroy them. Yeah. Did they have priests? Did the Jewish people have priests in that in that time? Because um, in my dumb understanding, I was like, hang on, isn't the priesthood called later on? Yeah. Or is there is this part of the judges that we've just seen? Who are these priests who are regularly coming before the Lord? Yeah, it's a little uncertain here. Yeah. I mean, I mean, uh, Jethro is called a priest of Midian. Exactly. So. Um, so there may be, uh, it may be something to do with that. Yes. Uh, yeah. So Some of these holy people, because yeah. again, like we see through the person of Jethro, there were priests. Yeah, because God actually is going to set aside the Levites as priests. Now that's yeah. going to happen. Now the importance of this, and I think the key question is here, is isn't God has said, I, I've taken you out of Egypt to draw you to myself. Mm. But then he says, don't come anywhere near me. <laughs> Basically, and that should raise a question for us, what is going on here? Now, what subsequently is going to be revealed to them from this point is God is going to show, I mean, he's going to reveal the law to them, but the most important part of the law is the temp, the tabernacle system. And that is going to show them how a sinful people could relate to a holy God. Yes. Now, that's an important issue, but they had to experience the issue that a sinful people cannot come 
waltz into the presence of a holy God. So yeah. this sets up the problem that God is going to solve. Fantastic. It's this God is holy, you are not. God cannot embrace that which is not holy. Mm. So that is f- very much felt by the Israelites so that mm. when by the time God reveals all the stuff about the tabernacle and the sacrifices, ah, you get this sense, this is, this is the gateway this is how we are cleansed through the sacrifices and this is how we can live in the presence of a holy God. So the, and this is important, uh, I think, to, to recognise that in order to understand the solution, we have to understand the problem. Oh, great point. And the first thing that God is going to reveal here is the problem. You're a sinful people. You're separated from God. Let me demonstrate let feel that and and we as the reader should be aware of that and this is why I yeah. say we should be putting ourselves in this in the place of the people because we should be reading them Gee, they are a sinful people they're complaining all the time bitterly yeah they're not getting it right and and, and if we put ourselves in those in those shoes we ourselves should be trembling at the foot of the mountain That's right. going how are we going to yeah. do and, this and they're being sinful didn't preclude them from going through the gateway that God had made in yes. the, symbolically in the temple system. Yeah. It was because they were sinful that that gateway was made mm. because despite their sins, God is saying, I'm accepting you, I'm drawing you to myself. Yeah. But this is, this is like their moments, this is their moment of penitence. This is their moment to realise that they are unclean. Mm. This is an experience I believe we, we – this is something I go through regularly when I, when I often – um, for me, the most profound moment of connection with God is a moment of reconnection, is me recognising the things that grieve God in my life, oh. actually feeling the problem. And there's this moment when I feel the problem, that moment of what we theologically call penitence. Mm. There is a moment of agreement with God. Oh, you, we agree. Mm. And then there is reconciliation. Mm. You have to feel the problem to embrace the solution and that's exactly what's happening here. So don't be afraid to feel your disconnectedness. Allow yourself to feel your disconnectedness. Allow when you wander away from God, may you feel the emptiness and the, uh, the, the void that comes from, may you feel the conflict because that becomes, and not so that you're condemned, but so that you can experience mercy. Because feeling the problem, as I'll say it again, is a necessary precursor to embracing the solution. In the words of Psalm 126, those who sow in tears will reap with songs of joy. seeing all the patterns, the threads, the themes being introduced in the book of Exodus, in these foundational books. It has been so enlightening to me. And on our next episode in two weeks' time of Thrive Deeper, we get into the 10 commandments. Oh, talk about patterns, themes, and ideas that will carry through to the rest of the Bible. You do not want to miss out on that one. Well, if you want to get in touch with us, please head over to Thrive Today. ThriveToday.tv. It's our home and line. And I know this is a stressful time for a lot of people. So we're sending you lots of peace 
and love and prayers from all of us at the team here at Thrive Today, hoping that you and yours are safe, you're looking after each other, and you're looking to the author of all things, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ in this time. I'll see you next time. It's DJ here on Thrive Deeper. Thanks for listening to this episode of Thrive Deeper. Matthew and DJ really appreciate the questions and thoughts about what you're reading in the Bible as you go through it with Thrive. Our home on the internet is thrivetoday.tv. You can contact us, ask questions, see all of our resources and much more at our website, thrivetoday.tv. The Thrive Today Network is on Facebook. Our Facebook page and links to our community groups are waiting for you. Just search and like Thrive Today page in Facebook now. Visit ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. If you appreciate what we do and want to help us reach more people, go to ratethispodcast.com slash thrive deeper. Until next time, our prayer is that these shows will inspire you to go deeper into God's Word and thrive. This was another DJP.FM production. <laughs>